fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is a post-Monday celebration. Greatest day of the entire week as we move through the Tuesday Let's carpe diem all over this place. What do you say? What a wonderful day, man, and a day of answers. We'll get to all that here in just a moment. Welcome into it. This is The Voice Reason. I am Andy Hoosier, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or listen to the show. So wonderful to have you for the ride today. Bottom of this hour, Joe Gulisarian, brand new guest on the program. He is the author of... The series, the Practical MBA on Economics series, on what higher education fails to teach you in economics. So we'll talk about that coming up in a little bit. And is that why maybe we're not quite understanding why we're, I don't know, going off the financial cliff economically here in the country and what's going on with <laughs> with our nation's economy. So we'll talk about that coming up in just a little bit. Today, my friends, though, is a great day. Andy, why? Well, today we get to talk on why we're starting to finally get some answers. We're getting answers on certain issues. There's a lot of answers coming out of Washington, D.C. We'll get to that in just a minute. But sometimes you just have to sit back, you have to open up your mind, and you have to ponder. And you have to ponder what the answers of the world world are. I've asked this, and I know you've asked this many times as well, on if you go to school, kind of like if the tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it, does it actually make a sound? If someone takes a gender studies class in university and graduates with that gender study degree in university can they actually make a career out of it you know tomato tomato kind of the same thing between the two comparison if you graduate with a gender study degree can you actually make a career out of said degree well apparently the answer is yes what i know i know is the latest video proves that you can actually make a career out of graduating with a gender studies degree I, I don't know exactly what that is, so we have to just tune in and figure it out. Gender studies is a growing field with many fulfilling career opportunities. We find more and more genders every day, and we need professionals to sort through them all with their gender sorting machines so they can be placed on the correct gender shelf. That's where you come in. If you think gender studies is for you, here are nine exciting jobs that you can get once you graduate. The first job is burger flipper at McDonald's, but a socially conscious one, of course. You can spread the gospel of gender identity to your coworkers. The next exciting career is sign spinner in front of Little Caesars, but a socially conscious one. Your manager might even let you listen to your favorite gender studies podcast while you do it. Win-win. The next career is supervisor at the local gender factory. You know, where they manufacture all the genders, Good pay, good benefits, especially if you join the gender union. It's a growing field with many fulfilling career opportunities. Portland is a paradise for gender studies experts. If you play your cards right, they might even let you become a professional stabber for Antifa. Here's another great career opportunity, professional toxic coworker. As an expert in gender studies, you can become a cancer in a large corporation, slowly wreaking havoc on all relationships and infrastructure from within. 
cool. Another great career, Alyssa Milano. Unfortunately, this one is currently filled. Make sure to apply in another six months. This one is great. Screenwriter for the next big Marvel or Disney movie. No actual writing skills required as long as you're really good at gender stuff. Here's a job where you get to serve your country. Army General and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. General Milley did it, so can you. Onward, gender soldiers. Finally, Unitarian Pastor. Unitarian pastors are pretty much gender study professors with fancy collars. So this should be easy for you. Amen, a woman, and a non-specific gender. <laughs> well, that's it. A comprehensive list of all the jobs a gender studies graduate is qualified for. So what are you waiting for? Take out a non-defaultable government loan for $200,000 and then vote for a guy that will force struggling single moms to pay it off. Do you have a favorite gender? Remember, there are billions of them. Man, woman. Or other, I'm not quite sure. There it is. I like that. There it is. That is the careers that you can have with your gender studies degree coming out of university. I, I got to admit, now, first off, we have to be very careful. I did not make that audio. That was from the Babylon Bee, and hats up to those guys and our friends over at the Babylon Bee because they make some great parodies. As you know, we like to do some of those. Haven't made any our own in a while with our Voice Reason product line, but we are coming up to the end of the year, 2023, and for those that have listened to this program for any stint of time, know that our Christmas special here on this show that's the type of stuff that we do throughout the entire program is recap all the great audio fun tidbits that we've collected throughout the years, and we'll play those for a Christmas special coming up in just a week or so. But the degrees are the careers that you can have with your gender studies degree. I really like that non-defaultable student loan at $200,000. I mean, somebody else can just pay for it and cover it, right? And they'll just, yeah, I don't have to pay for it. Oh, thanks, Joe Biden. Appreciate that. All right, let's get into what's trending today. What do you say? What's going on in this world of man? There's a whole lot of killing in this world of man. Somebody's got to help this world of man. A little bit different uh, theme for the day, right? They're just a little bit different here on the show. That's what we do. Andy, you're different. I know, and I admit it, and I'll fully accept it and embrace it. Uh, in Washington, D.C., the president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, he has been in Washington, D.C. for the past couple of days advocating for as much money as he can possibly get. Although, is he going to get it at least anytime soon? Again. Probably not, according to the latest from BreitbartNews.com, is according to uh, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority or Minority Leader for the Republicans, saying that they are tabling the funding for Ukraine until January. Now, this is a major blow not only to the Ukrainians, but also I would say partly here in the United States as well, as we were trying to piggyback the funding for Ukraine with H.R. 2 or at least some form of immigration reform bill that obviously isn't going to happen. And we talked about yesterday the vast difference while the Democrats are like, we're trying to negotiate between you two. And we're in completely different ball fields. We're not even in the same ball field. We're in completely different athletic sports when it comes to those conversations. As HR2 was kind of our go-to, and U.S. Senator James Langford from Oklahoma, even if we weren't going to propose HR2, we're presenting ideas and amendments onto the Ukrainian funding bill that were similar to HR2. That was the Donald Trump immigration bill that was going to I don't know, stop the massive flood of illegal immigrants coming into the country. And Democrats said that was a non-starter. They said their compromise, which, according to Chuck Schumer, we're willing to negotiate on the border. We're willing to work together. And in fact, I heard a little tweet tweet from a congressman that we said that I chatted with earlier today. We're going to play an interview with him in the next day or so. 
that today there was an emergency meeting with Democrats at the White House. Topic, immigration. Because they wanted to find a way to get Ukrainian funding to Volodymyr Zelensky as quickly as possible. And if that was the stipulation Republicans put on it, which kudos to you, don't back down, don't waver, don't try to compromise and just give up on this because that's what we've done for the longest time. Stick with, stick with your guns here. The Democrats were now in a tizzy and having an emergency 911 meeting at the White House today to discuss immigration. But according to Mitch McConnell, as of, oh, I don't know, just a couple hours ago this afternoon, they said that uh, the Ukrainian bill is tabled because, well, the Democrats aren't willing to work on immigration. While we were trying to seal the border, their idea of solving the border and compromise and working together... I'm using air quotes here for our radio listeners, was just to create more of an app and allow more people to come in with an easier controlled flow as opposed to just stopping the flow. If you have a leak in your house from a water line, do you just reroute the flow so where it continues to flow in and flood the house or do you actually turn off the feed on it until you get it fixed then you can turn the flow back on and have it actually directed towards not flooding your entire house it's a very simple concept but apparently it's something democrats don't quite understand so while their idea of compromise on immigration is just allowing more to come in in a streamlined fashion and ours is like maybe we shouldn't allow so many people to come in right now because it's like the amount of an entire city coming in each day right now that's a problem and again that's not even in the same ball field that's completely different athletic sports so that being said Volodymyr Zelensky speaking yesterday at the uh, whatever it was it was the National Defense uh, University in Washington DC trying to advocate talking about the devastation of what they're going through with the communists of uh, uh, President Putin in Russia and what they're having to deal with right now in relating to history. 2022 turned out to be the year when one of the biggest enemies of freedom with its all-out unjust and unprovoked war tried to smash everything beloved since the Berlin Wall fell. Russia's war on Ukraine isn't just about, isn't just about some old-fashioned dictatorship trying to settle scores real or imagined. It's not just Moscow trying to split Europe again. It's Putin. Putin attacking that big shift that happened back in 1989. He's fighting Ukraine, but really, he's, he's up against all of free United Europe. He's wrecking everyday life in Ukrainian city, life in Ukrainian cities, but his real target is the freedom. Freedom people enjoy from Warsaw to Chicago to Yokohama. He's trying to make democratic countries lose hope, pushing the idea that dictatorships with a bit of market economy are winning this global face-off. All right, that was Volodymyr Zelensky yesterday speaking, trying to advocate for some of these funds. And look, we get it. Russia is a communist nation, and they are an enemy to the United States. They are an enemy to freedom around the world. Zelensky, while he's not the most freedom-oriented individual either, is slightly more, and they are an ally. And do we support them? Yeah, we kind of support them. We've already given them $100 billion. I would think that we support them pretty decently. But i got to applaud the Republican Party here. 
because they stood their ground. And this is something that I know. I know this is the twilight zone. This is the alternate reality that we're living in right now. We haven't heard about the Republicans actually standing their ground and fighting for principles and not wavering in a very long time. And it's happening by the end of 2023. And that, my friends, that... That gives me hope for 2024. Winning. Because finally, we have a Speaker of the House that said, no, if you're not going to actually work with us on this and have a substantial bill with reasonable conversations, we're not going to do it. You want Ukrainian funding? Cool. Guess what? You can have Ukrainian funding, but this is what we're going to do. Andy, why would you tie the two together? That's just cruel. We need to do them individually. Republicans are finally playing the same game as Democrats. And it's said that we have to. And I don't like to play political games. But we have to because that's who's ruling the roost right now in Washington, D.C. If you remember, we can't pass bills on immigration. We can't pass bills on spending. We can't pass bill, uh, pass bills on, I don't know, the military and veterans. Unless there's some kind of attached agenda for them for green climate change or for gender studies or for maybe an increase in degrees for student loan forgiveness, whatever it is. Democrats have done that forever. And unless we piggyback on that, then you hate the veterans. And you hate the economy and you hate whatever else that, uh, that is the real point of the bills. So Republicans, the fact that you're standing up and you're actually doing this, I commend you for it. It's about time. And it gives me optimism not only for 2024, but for the major economic uh, and fi- fiscal conversation and debates that we're going into at the beginning of next year. Isn't that nice? Did that seem nice? We might actually stand our ground. We might actually not waver and push back on the Democrats because we have the leverage and we're finally starting to recognize that. And it feels so good. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, it is. 24 minutes past the hour. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting. I have a simple question. Why is it always us? Why are we the ones that always have to go and bail everybody out? It's ridiculous. Now, I get it. We're the powerhouse of the world. We are the superpower. I get it that with power comes great responsibility. Remember that quote from Spider-Man? I get it. So, should we aid? Yes. Should we aid? I, I agree. We probably should. Because of the fact that we have a communist dictator trying to reunite the Soviet Union and spread his way across Europe. I get it. We've already done that in a sum of $111 billion, actually, according to Breitbart News. $111 billion over the past year, year and a half. I get it. Where's the rest of the nations? I know they're kind of sort of helping, but just imagine if we don't fund this, if we don't give them the aid that they need... According to the media, according to Zelensky, according to everybody else, if we don't do it, if the United States backs out and says no, then Ukraine will fall. Then Russia will succeed. Russia will become the powerhouse of the world. Russia will completely decimate the Ukrainians, and it will all be because of us. We are the fault. This is the same rhetoric that we hear when a bill doesn't pass for, let's say, I don't know, our budget. And unless Republicans get on board, then it's the Republicans' fault. Unless we come in a unified manner to vote for the Democrat-passed omnibus bill, then it's Republicans' fault. And when you don't uh, collect your Social Security check, when you don't get your health care, when you don't get your paycheck as a veteran or as the military, active military member, when you don't get paid as a federal government employee, then it's not just the government. It's the Republicans' fault because they didn't get on board. Like, that's what we're hearing right now. That's the messaging. 
that we have. Why is it always us? The, the rest of the world that's out there, I get that they kind of sort of help a little bit here and there. Well, we're part of the EU and we can't do this. We can't be part of this. Really? There's a United Nations that's supposed to be keeping the world peace and stop World War III from actually happening. Where the hell are they? And why is it always us that has to fund everything? This is ridiculous. Now, I get it. Russia needs to be stopped. I totally understand. Totally understand that argument. Russia is a ridiculous place, and, uh, you know, it's, it's run by a communist dictator. Totally understand. There's a band that I listen to. Most of you won't listen to them. They, you probably have no idea who they are, so I'm not going to mention the name. But they're from Russia. And the band has come over here since this whole Ukrainian conflict has started. They've come over here to the United States. They're staying in Florida right now. They're a very, very heavy band, and I really enjoy them. But they did a podcast over just the last day or so. And the lead singer, again, not going to mention his name, very thick accent, so it's kind of hard to hear him. And I did bleep it out, by the way, because it's a rock band, so of course they had to do their thing. But made a very interesting comment talking about the difference between the United States and and Russia. And the freedoms that we have here, and even most of the world still recognizing that we are still the greatest nation on the face of the earth. I love America because of democracy, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's uh, actually, like, a, at least two sides, and they fighting each other, you know? And mm-hmm. this is how you are getting better. Like, uh, for example, if you have business, like huge company, right? And you have your opponent, you know? Like yeah, a, like a competition. Huge company. Yeah, yeah. Competition. Yes. And it makes your business better. And, yes, uh, and people around, you know, like you give the opportunity to create something new, a big competition. But if you have only one side and maybe it's right or maybe they f- do a good, f- you know, but it's only them. There is nothing around them, like no competition, no mm-hmm. new things and all that, f- you know. They love competition. Capitalism, baby. That's something you don't get in Russia. I get it that Russia is an evil nation that we cannot allow to spread their wings and take over nation after nation. I totally get that. But at what point is it our responsibility only compared to other nations that need to step up and partake in this as well? At what point does the United Nations come in and actually investigate on, I don't know, the humanitarian issue that uh, Putin has created in the nation of Ukraine, bombing hotels, bombing apartment complexes, so on and so forth. At what point does the European Union step up and say, yeah, you know what, Uh, if we have to get involved to stop this and just eliminate and eradicate this guy, this is what we have to do. At what point does it fall on somebody else other than just the United States hearing the exact same rhetoric that we hear all the time of either spend more money on something that doesn't benefit the American people or it's your fault that the world collapses? Kind of tired of that rhetoric. And Republicans standing strong, I applaud you, my friends. Keep up that fight. Back after this. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason. With Andy Hoosier. Reason, common sense, rationale. That's what it's all about. Welcome back into the program. Always wonderful to have you with us here for a post-Monday celebration. Got a carpe diem all over that place, baby. That's what we do. Winning. Every single day. Wonderful to have you with us here. Fascinating conversation, especially with the Ukrainian-Russian thing. Now we have Russians that are openly saying, talking about what they go through in their country. I mean, that band, again, not going to mention the name of the band, but a very hard death metal band that I enjoy uh, that's living here in the United States right now. And the reason they came over was because apparently 
during this whole conflict with Ukraine, they had to because the government was taking all of their revenue from any concerts or performance they were doing. They were just taking it because we need to fund the war. So you, your private property is no longer your private property. We're going to consume it. That's where they're at. By the way, I don't know if you saw either. So we have two nations now, apparently, North Korea and Russia, both the communist nations that are pleading with their uh, populations to have more children. Begging. Apparently, Kim Jong-un was crying at some press conference here in the last week, begging them to have more children. They live in third world slums in in, uh, North Korea, but yet they want them to have more kids so that way they can have a bigger population. Russia's begging for it so they they can have more soldiers here in the next couple decades. But hilarious to watch because, again, when you redistribute and you control and you oppress everybody, it begins to crumble. And we're seeing the social experiment happen right before our eyes. The question is, will we allow it to happen here in the United States as well? With that being said, let's shift gears a little bit What's and talk about where we're at. Today? What's trending today? And let's talk about where we're at here in the United States as well. Excited to have on the program. He is the author of the Practical, uh, Practical MBA on Economics, What They Do and Don't Teach You at Business School. Happy to have on the program Joe Gulisarian. Joe, how are you, my friend? Very good. How are you doing today, Andy? Hey, living Thanks the for dream. On your program. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. I love this conversation. People know that we're kind of dorks here on the show, and we love talking uh, economics and interest rates and government spending and watching what's happening around the world. This crumbling of communism, the centralization of power, this lack of free markets is making them crumble. But the problem is we no longer really have a true uh, free market capitalist system here to where we're kind of struggling on our own as well, aren't we? Yes, um, uh, it's not the best of capitalism. It's not the best of free markets. Uh, There's a lot of crony capitalism, but if you want to go into it, uh, it really started um, uh, just after the uh, First World War. And I think the last natural recovery that the U.S. had from a recession, and a recession is a byproduct of an economy, of a free market and otherwise, is during President Harding. It was actually a depression in 1920-21. once Hoover and FDR took over, um, they really started, um, they, they went carte blanche, pardon my French, um, and started interfering uh, in the economy. And they made a mess after mess after mess, uh, both of them, um, the Industrial Recovery Act and the Great Depression, the confiscation of gold, uh, uh, facilitating banks and giving them back to the bankers as opposed to giving them back to the depositors. So there's a fair bit of that I wrote in my book, and uh, you know I go into a deep dive there. But um, I would consider that period up to about, oh, geez, 1929, 1930, um, the last of um, the free markets as we knew it. And if someone, I know that earlier talked about socialism and communism, if anybody introduced socialism into the United States, it wasn't necessarily Obama. It was done by FDR. Obama was just a yeah. prodigy, if you will. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was kind of the start of it. I mean, the, the new deal that we saw, and now we see the socialists like Bernie Sanders when he was on the campaign trail just a, you know a couple of years ago talking about trying to fulfill that new deal, right? That, that they wanted to complete the FDR agenda. They wanted to complete the socialist takeover because they're getting anxious. They're getting uh, itchy. But here's the thing. They've made a lot of strides in the nation, haven't they? I mean, they've been able to create this Federal Reserve that's unaccountable for everybody. We've created a 32 to 34 to 35 trillion, whatever it is, debt now yeah. in the nation. And we're not stopping. No, there's no need to stop till the complete house of cards comes down. And I, I'm going to put the debt 
in everyday terms people can understand. So, you know, after I give you some of these numbers, maybe some of your listeners will get worked up into a lather. At least I did when I wrote this. But um, right now, based on tax receipts, which are about $3.3 trillion, I'm talking the federal government, 34% of that is going towards the interest on your debt. Wow. Yeah, that's the first part. Our average interest rates right now on treasury bills, that's how we finance a lot of this, people buy paper, is 3.2%, not 1%. And there's $7.6 trillion of debt maturing in the next 12 months. (laughs) And so I'll put it to you in a way that people can understand within their household. This is all federal government debt. There's $34 trillion, which approximates to 280,000 US dollars per American household, Legacy costs, and I'm being conservative in these, uh, when I combine legacy costs of about 700720 per household, plus your um, deficit, like your accumulated deficit of um, $34 trillion, comes up to approximately $1 million per household. So next time they have these debates, it doesn't matter what party, uh, say, what's, here's the question I would ask if, you know, if I'm going to vote. Yeah. What's your plan to eliminate the deficit? And get out of my pockets. Yeah. And reduce government by 80% and and watch the word salad come out. Yeah, it's a great conversation to have. It really reinforces the idea that I think we need to switch to the rent is too damn high party, right? I mean, that's that's where we're yeah. that's where we're at today. It's wild. And can we get it back on track? Now, I, I like to focus on the federal budget process, the twelve appropriations bills, the mandatory versus discretionary spending that we have in the nation, and it's continued to widen its margin so much that we're working on a a 12 appropriation bill right now, which we haven't really done and actually completed as an actual federal budget since before the Obama administration. But we are we are working on it right now, which is nice. I'm seeing some of the appropriation bills come out. We're seeing some spending cuts here and there, some consolidation, some things working. The problem is, though, that's only roughly 30 to 40 percent of the actual federal budget because the mandatory spending, all of these social programs that are on autopilot and continue to grow every single year, we're not allowed to touch those. So, Joe, even if we do this appropriations process and actually get the 12 done, is that really going to solve the main problem and get us out of debt right now? Well, you know, you're talking very rationally. I understand where you're <laughs> coming from. And, you know, you're saying, okay, let's put pressure on government to balance the budget. You know, um, no more, you know, wars that we don't need to get involved in. Uh, uh, no more, you know, um, out-of-control spending, if you will, so on and so forth. And let's not quintessentially define three, four generations of welfare as economic success. Now, we all all know that people need some help. I get that part, but not for three, four generations. So what I'm going to get into here is you and I or other people might have the political will. But the problem is you've got people so addicted to government. They're so comfortable living in the Stockholm Syndrome um, why would they? Why would they speak up to their enslaver when they can sit back and you know they're getting lots of frills and chills and spills from government and and free this and free that? Why would I do that? Just wait till they bring UBI out. It'll be even more titillating. Like in Canada, where at least 21, 22 percent of the people employed um, are working in government, that's your first 22 percent of votes. So basically, you know, print the money. Uh, we'll supply the ink. And just give me my votes, and I'll talk to you in four years, you know, so we can go, we can have another election, and you can basically, you know, 
uh, pick the pick the next uh, pre-chosen leader, if you will. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. You need how much do you need to run in the U.S. Now? At least a billion, two billion dollars. Not sure. Um, so that's where we're at. People are addicted to government, and government wouldn't have it uh, any other way. Of course. Um, yeah, they eat it up. Yeah. They, they absolutely love it. Yeah, we're talking with Joe Gulasarian. Yeah. He is the author of the Practical MBA on Economics, What They Do and Don't Teach You at Business School, uh, which I have to ask, how much of this do they or not teach you when you go to business school and you major in economics? I did not major in economics in college, but I, I'm curious, do they actually teach, hey, debt is bad and we probably shouldn't be doing what we're doing right now in the nation? Right. I think... I think uh, but when they teach you this, it goes back to John Maynard Keynes, and I don't want to sound academic, but he says that we should have government stimulus to create temporary demand. That's where a lot of this comes from. And the other part that came before Keynes wrote his 1933-34 book was FDR and Hoover both read the planned, um, I believe, um, I think it was called The Planned Society, and it's in my book. And they read this. So they were really wired on this kind of stuff. You have to remember, I know I'm going back to the 1930s or even the 1920s, but the Great Depression in the Soviet Union, they didn't suffer like we did in the West here. And I'm not uh, um, pumping them up here. So there was actually, I believe, a New York Times or uh, um, I believe Time magazine journalist who said things are so great there. Um, So we thought at that point, that it still had intellectual competition with the free markets back then. Well, that, of course, that house of cards came down. So, um, yeah, that's where we're at. Wow. It's wild. This is the new way of thinking. And this is the norm. It's just the standard. Like you said, I mean, when they teach that this creates, I mean, every conversation that we have on social media or with people on the other side of the aisle, that's what they say is that, well, you know what, government uh, government investment, government uh, creation, government spending that money is what spurs the economy, not the private sector, not the small businesses, not uh, not the private sector and capitalism, but it's the government that instigates this economic growth, and that's what we have to continue to instill. So all this investment that we're seeing on social programs especially and for the low-income individuals and for the health care and all that, that's spurring the economy, and we're actually going to see some growth from that. And it's absolutely laughable to hear such an argument. we got to take a break here real quick. We're talking with Joe Gulasarian, the practical MBA on economics, what they do and don't teach you at business school. You can find that book series online on his website, on his LinkedIn, other places as well. When we come back, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about this particular uh, continuing resolution that we have in January, the appropriations process that we're in right now, and how can we actually get back on track? How can we stop the madness in Washington, D.C.? As he said, we're not really going to see the politicians do it, so how do we actually do it? What do we do on our front? We'll do some of that when we come back here. It is a post-Monday celebration here on The Voice Series. Let's stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into the program. Just a few minutes left here on the show. It's wonderful to have you with us. And one of our favorite topics we love talking on the show here. I know it's dorky. Andy, you're such a nerd. I know. Totally okay. 
How do we fix our budget? Because I always say on this program, which is why we hone in on it, we talk so much about it, is you can't have other conversations about frivolous things like social issues or like, I don't know, what gender we are. You can't have those conversations unless we have a stable economy because right now we're so focused on that stuff that we're not focused on what's really important because we need a healthy nation. We will not thrive as a nation unless we actually focus on this and we keep ourselves in stable condition. And right now, we are not. I've used the analogy that we are no longer looking over the financial cliff and looking down into the Grand Canyon, but we are the wily e. coyote that's already over the cliff and our body's falling and our head stuck up there with the sign that says, help me, because we have nowhere else to go. Is that true? And where do we go from here? We're hanging out with Joe Gulasarian, the practical MBA on economics, what they do and don't teach you at business school. So, Joe, the big uh, 100000 or $34 trillion question is, how do we actually fix this? If the politicians won't do it, what do we do here? Well, I got a couple of ideas, but getting back to the Wiley e. Coyote, I like that part. But if I can consult the Wiley e. Coyote, instead of spending all that money, much like government, and I'm going to do an analogy here with the Acme Company, um, I don't know where he got those lines of credit. Maybe he could print money. But why don't you just go to KFC and buy a bucket of chicken and not go through mm-hmm. the canyon all the time and all that pain? But anyways, on a serious note there... Um, what what can you do? It's it's the question is you're going to have a, a partition of the nation. In other words, those that depend on government and those that want small government. And I will tell you this much: freedom and large government, historically going back to Mesopotamia, going back to the Arab period, going back to the Greeks, the Romans, the British Empire, the two can't live with each other. It's incompatible. So you've got that issue. So the other issue is you you know. You get to the point where here's a good. If you want to pass a bill, I, I hate passing any bureaucracy or bill. Let's say we go into this year, we're bringing in 3.3 trillion dollars in the states, and they're going to borrow another two trillion. Okay, so that's let's say that's 40 percent of your budget. Take that off the um, salaries of all the senators, all the people in Congress, and then start cutting off um, and bringing down salaries concomitantly. Um, with government workers, and sure. that'll get people worked up into a real lather, right? Because, you know, it's tough. Once you give a dog a bone and you try and take it back, you know, it might be a nice dog, but it might bite you. Yeah. Um, but in all seriousness, um, um, the other thing is, is you, you, you know, you're at the point where if you tax people enough, you're going to get a tax revolt. But, you know, the IRS, all the institutions, they, they'll come in and grab into your bank account. So one thing you can do is, is, is put some of your funds in gold so you have real money. And the other thing to do is, is ask these questions um, at your town halls, at your communities, at your, at your meetings. Ask tough questions. I mean, uh, you know, when, when I watch the political debates, except for one gentleman there, um, there just seem to be part of a, well, I don't want to use names, but uh, the, like an organized organization, that's what we'll call it, right? Yeah. Um, and I remember that, it was Vivek, I believe, the gentleman, uh, he was really on fire the other night at the Republican debate, you know, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's been yeah. calling it. And, and that's the thing. I mean, when we look at it, what we really need to do, which constitutionally I agree with as well, but we need to really take a serious look at cutting near, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 percent of all the government agencies that would save us a buttload of money as well. And uh, he, along with former President Donald Trump on the Republican side, are really the only ones that have advocated for that in some manner. And I think they could go even further. But it's a very 
like you said, it's a very uh, unpopular position to take, not only for politicians, but for those that are on the programs. Because once you're on the program, you don't want to get off the program. And that's been the entire end goal, I think, for so many that have created these is, oh, now now they're here to stay and there's nothing you can do about it. You know, Andy, um, you can bring Trump, you can bring Vivek, if you like. Um, you could you could bring, uh, you know, the last great hope in the world, um, you, you know, any time you put any of these individuals inside Washington, London, Ottawa, all the Western centers, the the uh, the Lions and the Roman Coliseum there in Washington and other capitals will eat them alive. The media will gang up on them. They'll be, yep. you know, they'll call them ism, this, ism, that. They'll be the worst thing um, that you could ever fathom. They'll, they'll all gang up on them. They, yeah. There's just... You know, you're you're throwing them into an oasis of a corruption. That's yeah. what you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's, I'm not, you know, coming down on one party or another. I understand what you're saying. No, um, it's true. It's, but right now, um, they just won't allow know, it. They won't. Yeah. Joe, yeah. And yeah. and you're talking about, you know, they're arguing about gender by gender and whatever, exactly. so on and so forth. Tribalism. These are yeah, all Joe. things designed to keep your mind exactly. off the Joe. most important things, and that's printing money. You bet. I hate to cut you off, my friend. We're out of time. It's Joe Gulaseri, and I appreciate it, my friend. We got to get you back on the show again real soon. I love the conversation. Until then, we're back at it again tomorrow here on The Voice Reason. We'll see you on the radio. Stay here.